Welcome everyone, glad you're here. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the stories going on in our lives. Uh, specifically, I suppose you already know your storytellers, right? Right? Some of you are nodding, some of you are, some of you are giving me that look. Uh, well, we all tell stories, basically everything that comes out of our mouths and most of what we write is a story of some kind. I, I remember that old TV show, I think it was called Dragnet, and the... the uh, I'm trying to remember, was it Joe Friday? Was that his, some of you are old enough to remember that, maybe. And, the, and I remember he would be interviewing someone and they'd go on and on and on about uh, what had happened and how they felt about it. He'd say, no ma'am, just the facts, just the facts. And you know what? We almost never tell the facts. If you think about it, uh, picture yourself asking someone on Sunday, well, how was your week? They will tell you almost everything except what actually happened, right? They'll say, oh, it was a great week. So many wonderful things happened, and I felt so good about it, and uh, I'm on cloud nine. And you notice I've described how I felt about the week, but I didn't actually say anything about the week, and we're, we're actually quite like that. And it makes sense, I think, because so often the facts are only just a small part of the story, aren't they? It's, it's, it's really the context around the facts, how we felt about it, the, the context of, of who we are in the moment. It's, the, it's the, uh, un, the hidden information, too, about what went on before. One set of facts can be presented by one person in a certain way. Really, the same set of facts can be prevented by, presented by someone else with a completely different take on life. I'm sure we've all had the experience of a family gathering remembered years later, and one, one sibling will say, that's the best Christmas we ever had, and the other one will go, oh, holy hell, no, it wasn't. <laughs> that was the Christmas that blah, 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 blah. And it's the same Christmas. It's the same facts, right? So tonight we're going to talk about this idea of storytelling from a couple perspectives. For one thing, I think many of us share some very common stories, and I want to talk about that. But the other thing I want to talk about is a little bit as a story that we're kind of hooked on as a group of people and even a nation. And so I want to talk about the idea of the hero's story and how it applies to what's going on in America right now and, and to us personally. And I hope uh, by the end of our uh, short encounter here, we'll even have some ideas moving forward on how we might want to adjust some of the stories that we tell ourselves. Interestingly though, at least to me, I don't want to start with stories, I want to start with Ernest Holmes and the idea of a mental equivalent. So this comes from Living the Science of Mind, uh, from Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind. He says, the law of mental equivalence means that everything that is consciously and subjectively embodied in our thinking tends to radiate an atmosphere, a vibration, a current of thought, an inward acceptance, which will automatically attract to itself that which is like it. Meaning that the stories that we have in our minds about ourselves, about the world, the thoughts and beliefs, the, the story we have will outpicture in the world. And so if our stories are of, I don't know, of, of joy and peace and love and, uh, and, and goodness, we can expect more of that. Of course, if our stories are contrary, if we have stories of, uh, of abuse and terror and things like that, 
according to Ernest Holmes, that carries a vibration, an atmosphere, a current of thought, which will automatically attract to itself more of that. So the reason I want to talk about stories tonight is because not only are they what happened to us, or at least a, at least a, a, um, a version of what happened to us, they also set the foundation what, for what will happen for us. As we continue telling our story, we will get more of it. And so, again, if we, if we want to have a different future, we really need to pay attention to the stories we're telling about ourselves now. We can't, we can't wait until the future was the past or, oh, now I'm, I'm even losing myself. But you get, you get the idea. We have, to, we have to predict ahead of time what we want to have in the future and tell that story. So if we want to have a, a victorious and, and, and wonderful retirement, we need to tell that story before we're retired. If we want to have a, a loving relationship with a, a new boyfriend or girlfriend, it's good to tell, start telling ourselves that story even as we're getting involved. It sets the stage, if you will. It creates the story for our future to outpicture. Okay, now what I am hoping to talk about today that has got us collectively in some trouble, I think is what is called the hero's journey story. Now, uh, for those of you who've read Young or Campbell, this will sound a little bit familiar, and it's starting to wade into the idea of archetypes, but we don't actually have to go far, too far into archetypes to understand the hero's journey, because it's virtually the plot, if you will, of nearly every public movie we've seen in the last 25 years, certainly all the popular ones. So let me quote from Joseph Campbell here briefly. Here is what he has to say about the hero story. He says, The hero ventures forth from the world of common everyday into a region of wonder or terror. Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory must be won. The hero comes back from this adventure with the power and riches to bestow boons on his fellows. Okay, so that's the hero's journey uh, presented in, a, in its outline. And of course, there are different flavors of it, right? We don't always have to uh, conquer a dragon. Uh, we don't always have to, to, to come across something uh, really terrible. But let me, uh, let me share with you just some of the big box office movies uh, telling this story over the years. So remember Luke Skywalker confronting Darth Vader in order to save the rebellion? Remember Harry Potter confronting Lord Voldemort in order to save Hogwarts and the Wizarding World? Frodo confronting Sauron in order to save Middle-earth. Even children's movies like The Lion King or 101 Dalmatians have their villains that must be overcome to bring justice into the world. And although uh, Joseph Campbell talked about he, and I will say the hero's journey also typically tends to be a guy, which is a little disturbing, but there are hero stories with women, uh, Ripley confronting and killing the terrifying aliens in order to save the world from conquest, Joan of Arc. I mean, there are other hero stories involving women as well, but they're rarer. I think they're rarer because the hero's story really is about conquest. And I would also suggest that we, as the United States, since World War II, 
have really looked towards the hero's journey as our national story. And it really served us well, if you think, in World War II, right? We really did vanquish the dragon. I mean, I, I mean there really was unequivocally problems that had to be taken care of in the world, terrifying ones that we did actually race and vanquish, and it was primarily a men's story, although not entirely. And the hero was, in World War II, if you remember, came back and was lauded. Uh, he, pr again, primarily, although many women were involved as well, really were, that series of veterans were held up in great and huge and powerful esteem, and there was a GI Bill to reward them, and we modeled a lot of the 50s and even the 60s on this idea of the hero's journey. But we didn't stop with World War II, if you remember. We've, we've had a few others since then, and I happen to have been more closely involved in the Vietnam era, and by then the hero story never really worked anymore for a couple reasons. One, the villains weren't so obvious. It wasn't clear in the world that people needed to be vanquished anymore, right? It wasn't a kill them all and then we'll be safe. Half of the people that we would be killing, well, really all of the people we would be killing, right? It's like, uh-uh, not so much anymore. It's not a clear-cut decision of, uh, of these are the good people and these are the bad people. And so when our uh, young men and women came back from Vietnam, really some questionable sort of homecoming for them. Many of them uh, terribly damaged during that war psychologically because it wasn't so clear it was the good fight. It wasn't so clear it was the hero's journey. You know what happened, though, is we kept up the hero's journey and we simply took it into the business world, which I think is really interesting. So again, in the 50s and in particularly in the 60s and 70s, the business world was where the hero's journey was taken care of. And you would have uh, uh, people valiantly going off to work, competing vigorously, climbing up the rungs of the ladder in their companies and pitting one company against another. That was in the, in the time when uh, Apple was uh, recorded as saying they were going to crush IBM and uh, they were doing, uh, what were the antitrust suits against Bell Labs because Bell Labs had this plan for monopolizing the entire telephone system of the world and how they could crush Hewlett Packard. And, and it was always in, in terms really of the hero's journey, how one company then could vanquish the competition and prevail in, you know, the Texas instrument world or, or whatever it was. And, and so we took the hero's journey again into the business world. But you know what? Even that started petering out. Towards the 80s, certainly by the mid-80s, all of the uh, prominent uh, uh, work-related uh, uh, people in, in the movement was discovering that collaboration and cooperation actually was a better metaphor in the business world than uh, that one person pitting themselves against another. And so once again, the hero's journey in business, it's kind of petering out. There's still a few companies out there that still represent that dog-eat-dog, -dog, you know, everything for the dollar kind of thing. But 
not so much. The successful companies have put aside that idea of vanquishing the whatever it is in, in, in order to come out ahead. I want to talk about some of the problems with the hero's journey. First of all, we tend to put our faith in the solitary figure to save us or help us out. If you think about the heroes in those movies I talked about, if you think about business heroes, you know, it's usually the chairman of the board that gets all the credit for getting the work done. It's usually the, uh, you know, it's the lone ranger that, uh, that gets all the, the, the good press and the, the people that washed his clothes and kept care of his horse tend to not be mentioned so much. Also, most of us are relatively powerless compared to the hero. When we put our faith in a hero, it tends from the get-go to say we're less than that. We're, we're uh, kind of giving our power, in a way, to this person who's going to save us or vanquish the dragon. And that leads us to a really important one. There has to be an enemy to conquer. For the true hero's journey, there has to be some insurmountable problem that finally is surmounted. There must be a fight. There must be a conquest to make progress. There must be losers, typically, to be winners. Hopefully they're evil, right? So then it's okay to vanquish them. And finally, there are always limited resources or power that gets fought over. Do you see why we might be in problem with this? Do you see why when we look towards one man in a certain position in the country to save us, or the head of a household to do all of the work for the family, do you see how this increasingly is fraught with problems? To begin with, it, um, it puts what? 90% of America in the second best. I mean, what are the other roles? You get to be sidekick, or you get to be the damsel in distress. Are these roles we really want to have? So I'm here tonight to ask us about maybe undoing some of our attraction to the hero's journey. And it has a natural attraction to it, doesn't it? Isn't it lovely to see someone overcome all odds and win the girl at the end or win the boy at the end? Isn't there something almost kind of magical or tantalizing about polarizing two groups or two people calling one good and one evil and then seeing just the holy heck smited out of the evil one. I mean, there's something attractive about it, but, but it's not how the world actually is. There aren't really evil and good people. There are people that have good and less than good in them. We all get to make our choices, and some of us make marvelous choices most of the time. Actually, most of us make marvelous choices most of the time, but sometimes some of us not so much. That's not evil. That's making bad mistakes. Mistakes that ideally one would be given a chance to even correct. And so the idea of vanquishing the, the enemy... Well, the enemy is just like you and me. 
When we talk about uh, needing to overcome obstacles, well, does that mean then there always needs to be an obstacle for us to overcome? Do you see how I worry about this? I think that's why we got involved in the last two or three wars since World War II, because we're ready to vanquish. We need something to vanquish. So maybe we should step into Korea. Maybe we should step into Vietnam. Maybe we should step into the Middle East. Now, I'm, I'm not a very good political analysis. I think the United Nations does a, a better job of that, and there probably are times when military forces need to move in to protect the peace. But I do know that we are quick to rush in because we want to fill that role of the Savior. We want to be that hero. We want to vanquish the dragon. And as long as that is what we're embracing, we will find a dragon. We will create one. And it's just not working for us anymore. So my thought is, what can be our new story? What new story can we tell ourselves? And it really does, I think, start with ourselves as individuals. As long as we want to go see all the movies that have Bruce Willis in them, and no, and no, no offense, I actually enjoyed the Die Hard movies, right? But, but as long as we support as our natural past, a national pastime, those kinds of movies, those kinds of stories, as long as we hold up for our children the idea that's what you should uh, aspire to, um, we will be in this pickle, I think, that we've got. And so what are some of the stories we could tell ourselves instead? Could we tell ourselves instead that collaboration and cooperation is one of the most amazing ways that things really get done? I recently saw the, the movie uh, Hidden Figures, and, uh, and although, you know, racially stereotyped, yes, but I loved the idea that the heroes of the story um, were uh, some mostly uh, 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 middle years women uh, who were math geniuses helping us to, to propel uh, our, our uh, victory into, faith, into, into space, right? It wasn't, it wasn't the story of one guy like a lone ranger prevailing. It was a smart group of women who achieved something that no one else could do. That is worthy of a national story. The idea that we, working as a team, can do something that no one is likely to be able to pull off on their own. That is a lovely story. Do you see where I'm heading with this? When we begin telling our young people and showing our young people that the only thing that needs to be vanquished on the planet are things like poverty and uh, and homelessness, the, uh, you know, those are uh, disease. Those are the things if we want to, to play hero, we could work on those, not other groups of people, not other ways of being. Well, I'm going to close tonight with a couple things. Uh, first, a bit of homework. Um, I would love it if you would go home and write your next chapter and think about some of the themes that we have talked about how could the next chapter of your life not be a, a solitary lone ranger, but rather uh, in the midst of some family dynamics that create something marvelous? 
Instead of being a, a solitary figure, how could you be involved in uh, maybe your church or, or maybe some activities with the people you work that would really make an astounding difference? Not a, a, a vanquish, but rather uh, making a difference, moving towards something lovely rather than fighting against something that's ugly. Make sense? And I'm going to close with some further tips. Um, I got this off of the Centers for Spiritual Living's website, and it talks about our global vision. And I think it really at least speaks to me to some of the characteristics that are going into the next story, the next chapter of my life. Our global vision is a world that works for everyone. We envision all people, all beings, and all life as expressions of God. We see a world in which every person lives in alignment with his and her highest spiritual principles, emphasizing unity with God and connection with each other. A world in which individuality and collectivity, we are called into a higher state of consciousness and action. We envision humanity awakening to its spiritual magnificence and discovering the creative power of thought. A world in which every person discovers his or her own personal power and the ability to create an individual life that works within a world for everyone. We envision a world in which we live and grow as one global family. We respect and honor the interconnectedness of all life. A world where this kinship with all life prospers and connects through the guidance of spiritual wisdom and experience. We envision a world where personal responsibility joins with social conscience in every area of the political, corporate, academic, and social sectors. We envision a world where each person has enough food, a home, a sense of belonging, a world of peace, of harmony, enfranchisement, and justice. We envision a world with resources which are valued, cared for, and grown, and where there is a generous and continuous sharing of those resources always. We envision a worldwide culture in which forgiveness is the norm, a world which has renewed its emphasis on beauty, nature, and love through the resurgence of creativity, art, and aesthetics. We envision a world that works for everyone. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness, I recognize it in the world around me so easily, for it is the world around me, including everyone in it. No dragons to be overcome. It is only God. I see it in the faces here tonight. I see it in the faces of my everyday living. It is God in action. The hearts and hands of humanity, certainly part of God's divine nature. I know this means me, I know that my life is divinely inspired, that the story of my life is written in love. The story of my life filled with blessings, with cooperation, with nurturing others, with being both a student and teacher of life, giving graciously, receiving beautifully. It is my nature, my story. It's who I am. And as it is true for me, I know it can be true for, for every person here, every person on this planet, each of us can be a, a center of God's love and light. 
that place where we connect and share, where we hold the value of, uh, of us all together higher than the value of any one of us as individuals. This, this is possible. I know it's ever easier for put a, us to put aside the, the hero's journey where it really isn't useful anymore and embrace something newer, something more collaborative, something more oriented towards joy and peace and love. And for this, I give thanks. For this, I give thanks. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here tonight. So glad you were here. Thank you.